All right, so as Brian uh, just mentioned, eight weeks, the next eight weeks, eight different psalms. Now, some of you are thinking, well, we did some psalms last summer. Why are we doing psalms all over again? Well, here's uh, the short answer. Uh, the book of psalms, this Old Testament book of psalms, is, is both the longest and most diverse book in the Bible. In addition, it's probably the most widely read and deeply loved of all of the 66 books that make up the Old Testament and the New Testament. So healthy churches, healthy believers, uh, continually go back to the Psalms because there is so much there, and that's what exactly we're trying to do uh, this summer. And so today we're going to start at the beginning, grab your Bibles, and turn to Psalm 1. Brian just sung for us this original music he just wrote, this unbelievable rendition. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, what Brian did, whoa. So now we're going to read it. Having just sung it, heard it sung, we are going to read Psalm 1. There's Bibles in front of you. It's page 535, give or take a couple of pages. And let's start at the beginning. This is a short psalm, but boy, is this psalm potent. We read, blessed is the man. Now notice, blessed here uh, begins Psalm 1 in the same way blessed begins the Beatitudes, the series we just finished. But blessedness does not refer to health and wealth. It refers to our spiritual lives. It's a spiritual blessing. But let's continue. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers? Now notice the progression from counsel to way to seat in this first verse. Paul is describing, I want you to see this, an acceleration of evil, intensification. From a pattern of thinking, counsel, to a pattern of behavior, way, to a pattern of identification, where he's seated, he's sitting. At the same time, the pace slows down from walking to standing to sitting, illustrating the growing influence of evil in the person's life. Now let's continue. That's verse 1. Verse 2. But on the other hand, his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, what we have here in meditates day and night is the exact same command. This is a statement, but this was given as a command earlier in the Bible to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. At Joshua's most important and busiest point in his entire life. So the fact that this statement meditates on the law of the Lord day and night is repeated in Psalm 1, commanded in Joshua 1, tells us that this is a significant statement. Let's continue. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he or she does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff. Now what is chaff? Well, chaff is the external part of a grain. It's, it's the husk. It's lighter than the grain itself. And so in the ancient Near Eastern, it was tossed into the air. And as we read in the next line, the wind blows it away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord, 
The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, for the last 2,000 years of the history of the church, Christians, followers of Christ, have repeatedly gone to the Psalms. I regularly go back to the, to the Psalms in my own life personally. And people go back to the Psalms to discover how to grow spiritually, how to pray, how to worship, how to handle adversity, difficulty, loss, how to find comfort, hope, uh, forgiveness, uh, really how to do life. Because the Psalms are a spiritual feast. And Psalm 1 is the gateway psalm. It's the port of entry. If the book of Psalms is a celestial mansion, Psalm 1 is the front door. If the book of Psalms is a high-end car, Psalm 1 is the owner's manual. Why? Because Psalm 1 tackles the key to experiencing the rest of the Psalms. Really the key to prayer, a life of prayer, a life of worship. The key to a healthy spiritual life. And what is that key? The key is meditation. Meditation on God's word. Now, having said that, I want all of you, especially those of you that might be a little new to Christianity, to lay aside your preconceived notions of meditation. Uh, because we tend to think today of medication as something extreme, uh, 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 something very difficult, uh, something archaic, something monks did centuries ago sitting on uh, uh, desert rocks. <laughs> and I want to say to you that is not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation isn't so much a time thing, it's a focus thing. And I'll come back to that. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about four things. I want to talk about why meditation is important. I want to sell meditation today. I hope today God the Holy Spirit will speak to you and you will have a different view of how to approach God's word. I want to demonstrate the importance of meditation. I want to talk about what meditation is. Then I want to talk about how we can practice it. And then I want to conclude by talking about the problem with Psalm 1 that we've got to face, that we cannot avoid. So let's begin with why is meditation so important? Why does it matter? Why does it matter for me and you? And it, I want to say it matters because of the remarkable promises surrounding it, connected to it. Now let's go back to the beginning. According to verse 1, I want you to see, and students, by the way, I really want you to notice this. According to verse 1, meditation demands a willingness to be different. Not weird, but to not follow the crowd. Because the crowd is going this way. The crowd is running off the cliff. The crowd doesn't realize it. So, so meditation from the outset, from verse 1, demands a willingness to be different. And that assumes a certain level of personal security. Uh, that that, that you, can, you can march to a different drummer. And that security is, is both the result of and discovered in 
a life of meditation. So why does meditation matter? Why, why would I be willing to be different? Four promises. Number one, you will experience the blessed life. This is how the psalm begins. Uh, the best life, the fullest, the most deepest life, which has nothing to do with circumstances, but everything to do with your relationship with God. Number two, you will become a person of substance, not hollow. Uh, the metaphor is you will become a tree, not shaft, that is blown away. There is a superficiality to each and every one of us in that we want to uh, look confident and capable on the outside, but man, on the inside, we're fearful, we're insecure, we're uncertain. And in Psalm 1, God promises to make us people of substance. So there's a consistency on the inside and on the outside to make us trees. The third promise is you will become stable. Just amazing here. Instead of being addicted to your circumstances, tethered to your circumstances, or dependent on the responses of other people, you will become rooted, like a tree is rooted. The tree here is stable, but I want you to note it's not just rooted anywhere. It is rooted by streams of water. In other words, circumstances like drought and heat and high winds don't matter. Uh, because this is a picture of your roots going deep into God. Elizabeth Elliot once said, joy isn't the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. Now the last time I preached this psalm, Psalm 1, here at Wheaton Bible Church, it was five weeks before my first wife, Carol, died. I knew she was dying. She knew she was dying. Our kids knew she was dying. And so this week, I, I, I took out that message, and, and I went through it, and, and I, I got to tell you, man, I, I was just amazed at the comfort and, and confidence at that difficult, dark point in my life when I was losing the best thing in my life that God gave me in his word. Confidence, a, a, a peace. I mean, I could stand up here and preach. That's the promise of Psalm 1. The promise is it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter the, the situation. Meditation gets you in contact with the living God. With the living water, your roots go deep, they go into God. So you are connected with the water of life. And you are stable. And you're not blown around, you're not blown away. The fourth and the final premise here is that meditation matters because according to Psalm 1, it means you will become fruitful. You will live a life of significance. According to Psalm 1, we're not pipes, we're trees. The difference is, with a pipe, water comes in, water comes out. With a tree, water comes in, but fruit comes out. Fruit is produced. 
Incredible fruit. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller in downtown New York City, um, and I'm borrowing a, a lot from Pastor Keller today, loves Psalm 1 so much that he preaches it repeatedly throughout his life, throughout his ministry. You uh, probably got 10 different sermons on Psalm 1 alone. And Pastor Keller says you can come to Psalm 1 and you can read it as a simple, naive promise of prosperity. I mean, if you look at the end of verse 3, we read, whatever he does, he prospers. So you can conclude that the psalm is teaching good fortune for good behavior or better fortune for better behavior. You can conclude that and you would be wrong. Because you would have overlooked a significant phrase that comes earlier in the verse. And the phrase is, it yields its fruit in its, what? Season. Season. In other words, fruit here isn't nonstop. It's seasonal. So is prosperity. There will be good times, uh, productive seasons, lots of fruitfulness, and, and then there will be difficult times, uh, times of seeming fruitlessness. I mean, that's life. We all go through dark periods. We go through periods where uh, we're wondering if we're productive at all. We're wondering if we're going backwards or forwards. We're not feeling like we matter. We're not feeling like we're making any difference. We're not feeling uh, significant. We're feeling totally uh, useless. That's exactly what this psalm is getting at. Seasonal or or fruit bearing isn't 24-7, day after day, 365 days a, a year. It's seasonal. Seasonal. And what we see in nature is a metaphor for our spiritual lives. So why is meditation remarkable? Uh, Meditation is remarkable because these promises connected to meditation here in Psalm 1, this gateway psalm, are remarkable. Now others around you may have more money, they drive a nicer car, they may be able to do this or that, uh, have an easier time, but you as a follower of Jesus Christ who meditates on God's word, you will live a miracle, you will bear fruit in ways you will never see that will last for all of eternity. That's why this psalm is so significant. Now, having said that, we've got to wrestle with the question, well, what is meditation? What is biblical meditation? So let me continue. There are 150 psalms, longest book in the Bible. And arguably, they are the most famous collection of prayers. The psalms are largely, uh, it's largely a prayer book. Or, or, or songs, worship material, the most famous uh, collection of all of that in all of human history. But this psalm we're looking at, Psalm 1, isn't a prayer. As a matter of fact, it doesn't tell us it's a song either. So what is it? It is a meditation on meditation. Why? Well, let me tell you why, and this is why this is the first psalm. Why God in his sovereignty made Psalm 1 first, the doorway, the gateway. 
And the answer is because according to Psalm 1 and its place on the front end, meditation is what opens the door and enables you to pray. Meditation is what enables you to worship. Meditation is what enables you to live the life uh, God wants you to live. Meditation, according to Psalm 1 and its place in the Psalter, is what turns you into a rooted person. So in your inward being, your roots go down deep into God. And if you understand the relationship of Psalm 1 to the rest of the book of Psalms, then you will understand there can be no substance, there can be no stability, there can be no fruitfulness, no ultimate joy or, 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 or peace apart from biblical meditation in your life. Now let me say it differently. You cannot get to the comfort of the 23rd Psalm apart from the call to medica medi medication. <laughs> Can you tell I'm married to a doctor? <laughs> apart from the call of medication here, and you're never gonna get, I love it, uh, you're never going to get to the comfort of the 23rd Psalm apart from the practice of meditation here in the first Psalm. You students, you have a long life ahead of you. What Psalm 1 is saying, the key to life, meditation. The tree is a metaphor for the power of meditation in the life of the believer. And this morning, I want to argue, I want to persuade you, I, I want to beg you to understand the importance of meditation according to this first, this primary psalm. And frankly, we all love the psalms, but we have been underwhelmed and largely ignored the message of this first psalm. Let's change that. Because meditation is what enables you to strike the deep waters of God, the deep joy, the deep peace, the deep significance. So you're not swept away. You're not beholden to the crowd. You're not doing what everybody else is doing. So as Jesus will say in the New Testament, so you do not build your house on the sand. Okay, but what is meditation? Well, according to verse 2, notice biblical meditation is meditation on the law of the Lord. Twice, law. Now, what is law? Well, law is not merely the rules of God. Rather, it's a reference to the entirety of God's word. It's how Jesus uses it in the New Testament. So where Eastern meditation, if you're familiar with Eastern religions, Eastern meditation expressed in the Eastern religions is basically emptying your mind, creating a vacuum in your mind. Biblical meditation is the opposite. It's filling your mind with God's word. But there's more. Notice it says we do this day and night. Now, that does not mean you quit your job. I'm not asking you to quit your job and go home and, and sell everything and just spend um, 24 hours a day in, in Bible study. That's not what's going on here. Day and night is a metaphor for continually coming back to through the day, through the night, to God's word. So you think about God's word. Uh, so uh, it isn't just, and I'm going to make this distinction several times this morning. This is something different than Bible study. 
where, where you study a passage for a few minutes and you, you take a couple notes and then you close your notebook and you move on. Meditation, uh, day and night, is scripture continually running through your head at different points during your day. It's something you continually come back to. And remember, God commanded Joshua to meditate on his word day and night at the busiest, most difficult, most stressful point in his life. And frankly, I would have never gotten through some of the things I've gotten through apart from God's word and the role it's played in my life. So specifically, meditation. What is meditation? Uh, well, we can say it a lot of different ways, but, but let me say it this way. Meditation is you chewing on God's word. You, you thinking on, you pondering on. Uh, sometimes the word can mean muttering. It, it's you asking questions of God's word. God, what in the world are you saying here? God, I don't like this. I don't understand this. Uh, it's you taking a verse and just going over and over the, the, the truth of it in, in your mind. But it's taking the theology and pressing it down into your heart. And that produces a peace. Man, that produces a joy. That, that produces a, a delight because God's word has become a living water and you've gone down deep in, in, into God and God is changing you. The word is seeping into you. Now, what does this look like? Well, we actually have a great illustration of this in Psalm 42. I'm not going to turn to it, but if you want to, turn to Psalm 42. And the illustration is a couple different times we have a statement repeated in Psalm 42, and the statement is this. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Now, what's interesting about that statement, why are you so downcast, O my soul, is the psalmist in Psalm 42 is talking to himself. Specifically, he's talking to his soul. And in Psalm 42, when you study the entire psalm, the psalmist calls God his rock, God his savior, Old Testament picture of Christ. And so the psalmist is wrestling with God. He's saying, God, you're my rock. God, you're my savior. But man, I'm feeling this way. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm downcast. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to be with my friends. I, I don't want to do anything. And so he's wrestling with this. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Because here's what God says. Here's what I know about God. And he's trying to bring the truth of God into his difficulty. And what we have in Psalm 42 is a wonderful illustration of what meditation looks like when you are in pain, when you are discouraged. So meditation starts with the mind. It starts with the mind. It's mulling things over, mulling, mulling God's word over in your mind, where you are in life, what it looks like. <coughs> looks like. And, and it's... Um, you asking questions like, is there a promise here for me to believe? Is there a command to obey? Is there a warning that um, my friends are missing and I don't want to miss? Is there an area of my life where I've been ignoring this? Is there um, something I need to confess? And you press it, you press it, you press it down into your life, into the different areas of your life. And you find yourself saying, well, in light of this, well, 
why am I so worried all the time? Why am I so sad? Why am I so discouraged? God is this. God says this, and this is what is going on in my life. And you're wrestling with this, and the water of God's word seeps into your life in ways you don't even realize. And over time, you change. Because the truth of God's word changes you. And so what is meditation? Meditation is personalizing Bible study. It's what turns the Bible into a burning bush. Because you're interacting, you're reading actively, you're pressing, you're thinking about it, you're questioning, God is speaking to you, and what happens is you become hot on the inside, and there's a joy and a delight, and you hunger for more, you delight in the Word. Study of God's word is your delight. Now, maybe I've overstated this, so let me just say it this way. Meditation is everyday, ordinary people, just like you and me, chewing on a verse, thinking about it, asking questions about it. It's no different than what someone in love does when he or she thinks about uh, an email they just got from their boyfriend, their girlfriend, or a, a, a card. Hmm, I wonder what she means about, by this. I, I wonder what he's saying here. It's no different than what a coach does when he's um, watching film. Well, why did we play like that? Well, what does that mean? It's no different, than, <clears throat> no different than what a mechanic does when he listens to an engine. Meditation is you saying, God, hit me again. Hit me with your word. I refuse to follow the crowd. I refuse to live like the rest of the world. Okay, so that's what it is. So now I want to move to this third area. How do we practice it? I want to continue to get more specific. But I have to say something because there's something we need to understand before I get to this issue of practice. And that is this, this kind of aggressive appetite for the word, for the Bible, that will make the difference between life and death in your life. It has a mind. Only, only can be sustained by your personal conviction that the Bible is the very word of God. That every word in the Bible is true. Every word in the Bible has been breathed out by God. Now this commitment to meditation in Psalm 1 is predicated on that. It, it assumes that. Why? Because otherwise you'll just be a hearer, but you won't be a doer. You'll listen to a subject on meditation or a sermon on meditation, but you, you won't meditate. And in addition, what's worth is, worse is you'll come to different parts of the Bible that you're uncomfortable with, passages in the Old Testament. And you'll avoid them instead of wrestling with God about them. God, why in the world are you saying this? I mean, I've been doing this with God for decades. And so what you'll do when you come to those passages you don't understand, those passages you don't like, you'll just dismiss them and then uh, maybe unintentionally you'll sit in judgment on them. Now hear me, hear me. The Bible in general, 
The Psalms in particular, we're in a series on the Psalms, are messy, they're complicated, they're difficult, they're hard to understand. And, and, and we live in a culture that doesn't want to bother with complexity. What do we want? We want spiritual fast food. And what I am suggesting, according to God's word, is that meditation is different. It requires energy. It requires focus. It will require some time. But unless the Bible is law to you, it will never, ever be love to you. So meditation begins with the highest possible view of the authority of the Word of God. It demands it. All right, so how do we practice it? Well, let me go back to the Reformation, to the 1500s, a guy named Martin Luther. <clears throat> Martin Luther was asked about his Bible study, and the story goes he was actually asked by his barber, so he wrote his barber a letter, 40 pages long. And at the end, he talked about uh, meditation, and he said, well, you know what I do is I ask four questions. Let me give you Luther's four questions. I ask myself of a word, of a verse, of a passage, of a book of the Bible, what is it teaching? Then the second question I ask is, well, what's in here that I can adore about God? And then the third question is, uh, what is it saying about a sin I need to confess? And, and the fourth question is, well, what is there in terms of I need to pray about, ask for? So you've got teaching, adoration, confession, and supplication, T-A-C-S. And Luther's practice, the way he got at meditation, was asking these questions over and over. So take Psalm 1. You're reading Psalm 1, and you ask yourself the question. What, you don't just read it. You ask yourself the question, well, what is Psalm 1 teaching me? And you think about it, and you, you turn some things over, and you realize that Psalm 1 is teaching you that meditation is so important in life that it's the difference between becoming a tree and becoming shaft. And all of a sudden, Psalm 1 is changing your life. <clears throat> well, what can I adore here in Psalm 1? Well, you can adore the fact that God is, I adore God because, God, you have given me your word. Uh, God, uh, because you, you want this for me, what do I need to confess? Well, I need to confess my laziness, man. Uh, I, I've been lazy about your word. What do I need to ask? I need to, a to ask God to make me a tree. Imagine if every single person of Wheaton Bible Church asked God regularly, make me a tree, God, for you. Now, let me differentiate this a, a, a little more. Scripture memory is important. Uh, memorizing scripture is really important. I do it. I was doing some of it this morning very early. And uh, our son Ryan came home from his sophomore year in college. He's uh, going to be a junior next year at Clemson. And he was home for a couple weeks, and, he, and he's left. And he said, hey, I, I just want you guys to know, with a buddy of mine, we, we've decided that we're going to memorize the book of Ephesians. And I got chapter 1 done. Now, it really doesn't get be much better as a parent when you've got a college student, right, than that. And so he proceeded to go back down south. He left last week, and on the way, he totaled his car. 
and he's fine, but he totaled his car. And um, you know, I thought to myself, well, I guess the scripture memory didn't help that much. <laughs> but then I thought, boy, it, it really helped me in how I responded to him. Uh, because uh, I have so much respect for his heart and his character. And, and, and so be, because of this, how I respond to that it becomes very different. So scripture memory is important. Bible study is important, but they must. And if you don't hear anything else I say all summer, hear this. They must be viewed as on-ramps to meditation. On-ramps to meditation. Where you're asking Luther's questions, where you're wrestling with the Bible. God, why in the world did you say this? What does this mean for my marriage? What does this mean for me in, in high school and college as a, as a single, as a parent in the marketplace? And you know change doesn't happen overnight, so you keep at it, you keep at it. It's the roots going deep into the streams of water. And as the water seeps up the roots, over time you become different. And you're not even aware of it. I could say more about this, but let me come to the end to the problem. Because there's a problem we've got to face. And that is, you and I can't do this. None of us can live this way. I don't live this way, you're not going to live this way. We can barely get through our days, let alone meditate on, on God's word. As a matter of fact, there is only one person who has ever lived out the first three verses of Psalm 1, and that is Jesus Christ. Did it perfectly. None of the rest of us have, can, or will. Uh, of all the different statements of Jesus in, in, in the Gospels, when you study them, what you discover is 10% of all of Jesus' statements are Old Testament quotations. He filled his life with the Word of God. And nowhere is this more vividly seen, nowhere is Jesus' meditation on God's Word more vividly seen than on the cross. His greatest agony, his greatest pain, his greatest intensity, his greatest moment of, 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 of difficulty. And what is Jesus doing on the cross? Jesus is thinking about Scripture. He's thinking about a psalm. He's thinking about Psalm 22. He quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you better believe he's thinking of the verses around that or following that and what Psalm 22 is saying. So here's Jesus in his greatest moment of agony and what is he doing? He's meditating on the word of God. Meditating. But Jesus isn't just our example. Jesus is our savior. And on the cross, what happened on the cross? Well, in light of Psalm 1, I'll tell you what happened on the cross. Jesus became chaff, dried up. He was blown away so that you and I might become living trees in the family of God. Jesus Christ lived the Psalm 1 life. You and I can't live, and then he died the death we deserve to die 
uh, to offer us forgiveness and his perfect righteousness when we turn to him, when we cling to him. So the solution to your and my inability to meditate is to look to Jesus. And when we see Jesus in his splendor and his glory and his perfection and the grace and the forgiveness he opens us, what happens? He offers us, it opens up the entire Bible. But I want to say to you, meditation does not come by trying harder. It comes by looking to Jesus and being alive in his forgiveness, his righteousness, his love. I'll conclude with this. The Bible does not say attend church day and night. The Bible does not say attend a Bible study day and night. The Bible does not even say share the gospel day and night. The Bible doesn't say hundreds of different things about day and night, but the Bible does say one thing. It says meditate on God's word day and night. And the result is, you will be a tree that produces fruit that will last for eternity. So you students, those of you in junior high and high school, those of you in college, uh, you adults, you young adults, you middle-aged, you you older adults, uh, I beg you to hear Psalm 1. I beg you to give your life to biblical meditation, to taking in God's word, to pressing God's word down deep into your life, that you won't waste it, and you will bear fruit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your word. We ask now, God, as we we turn to worship you, that you would speak to us, bless us. Open our eyes to you, for Jesus' sake. Amen.